following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Hey, welcome to the Mid-Modcast. All your mid-century dreams come true here and now. <laughs> I'm Craig. Who are you guys? I'm Paula. And I'm Dave. Dave. Hey. <laughs> We would love to hear from you. You can email us at midmodcast at gmail.com. Any show ideas that you have, anything you like, uh, anything you don't like about Dave or Paula, you can mention there. Uh, <laughs> keep it to do yourself like, if it's like. about me. Uh, oh, uh, anything you like about me. Yes. You, no, do you that. Like rate that. that. Put that on Apple Podcasts <laughs> in your review so everyone can see it. That would be best. Yes, do subscribe to this program. If you don't, Apple Podcasts, G, uh, Google Podcasts, whatever that thing is. Uh, wherever Alphabet, you get your podcasts. You get them, and give us a five-star rating. Or what kind right. of stars do we? Uh, all five. the stars. Every star. So, you know, bump <laughs> us up a little. Right. And uh, by all means, uh, do visit the website if you need to. And the Facebook, yeah. the uh, Instagram the Twitter yeah. mid modcast everything's mid modcast mid modcast.com mid modcast on uh, and 216 oh wait what? go go for it yeah and you can call us and leave us your favorite mid mod memories what do you usually say Craig at 216-309-2204 216-309-2204 yes that is <laughs> correct as Dave would say so no, I don't, I don't say Dave that. don't do. Yeah. He don't do that. <laughs> it's the spookiest time of year right now. Yeah. Halloween is upon us. Yes. And, uh, it's, it means that once again, we're doing a Halloween episode. Uh, any Halloween memories that either of you want to share before we jump into this? I have and the most fantastic picture of my sister and I, I think that there were three of us and I think the third one had just been born. So my mom didn't put a lot of thought or energy into our costumes and they are kind of a scream. My sister has a, a dad's t-shirt on her head <laughs> with just the hole and some diaper rash cream <laughs> on her face. You're a ghost, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have another one. I'll post this picture on the mid podcast. And I have another one where I'm wearing a pink blanket and she took some pipe cleaners and made some bunny ears, <laughs> stuck a bow on me. Boom. You're a bunny rabbit. Let's go trick or treating. Your mom had a gift. Oh, she, it was great. And then I look gift. at the elaborate costumes that she sewed for her grandchildren. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> just cracks me up. You know, I used to hear stories about kids eating candy until they threw up and that sort of thing. That never happened to me. Oh. I I could eat candy for oh, like yeah, three days either. straight and never <laughs> yep. never get nauseous. Never. I mean, I could eat like eight billion calories of chocolate and, and enjoy it. Now, of course, now I can't do that. But back in who's the, day, the who's the late night uh, talk show host who used to uh, 
ask parents to send videos in of them saying to their kids, Hey, yes. Hey, you guys, I'm, I'm really, really sorry, but your dad and I ate all the Halloween. Candy. I think that might've been Jimmy Fallon. I do Jimmy, remember was it that. Jimmy Fallon? Oh, those were classic. Those were awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Any memories of yours, Dave? For Well, you know, I was just thinking of uh, from when I was a, a little kid, I remember one, I mean, they did it every year, but I remember one particular year, my church that I grew up in uh, did like a haunted house kind of a thing Ooh. and the community was invited. And I remember this, they made this really like long tunnel down one of the hallways with cardboard boxes. Mm. So it was like totally dark in there. And then they would like have flaps cut in the top of the boxes. So as they could hear you crawling through, they would like stick a hand down in there and try to scare you or dangle something and make you think, Oh my gosh, I'm spider crawling through spider webs or whatever. But, and then one, one room had, um, 16 millimeter movies going. And I remember, um, they, they showed a bunch of, uh, little rascals shorts. Nothing scarier than spanky. That's, that's cute. <laughs> it wasn't to be scary. It was just to have for the kids to have fun. Oh. <laughs> you know, going into my teenage years, did you ever go to Not Scary Farm, Paula? Mm. I I went to Not Scary Farm before it was officially called Not Scary yeah. Farm. And that was an awful lot of fun. I just, after we went, I was like, Mom, can we just go here every Halloween and <laughs> can the trick-or-treating? This was so much fun. <laughs> I, I went, uh, I was probably about 15 years old. Oh. And uh, I was in one of the horror houses, whatever they were called. And a guy jumps out of nowhere at me and my hands go up. It you know uh, just it, it was a reflex yeah. and I ended up punching the guy in the chin and almost Aww. knocking him out. It's like I was like ah you know it's like I wasn't even punching really. I was just like put my hands up to like keep something from flying in my face. But For the uninitiated, I, I felt pretty awful. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's actually Knott's Berry Farm. And then for every Halloween, they change it to Knott's Scary, Not Scary Farm. Farm. It's a big deal. We even had, Craig, I had a niece that even worked it yes. every year. She Madison. played a creepy doll or whatever. Yeah, I'll be doing oh, her wedding cool. in just a few days. Yeah, she's getting oh, married. Right. And Craig's yeah. flying to California. Oh, cool. You know, Officiating I'm, at the wedding. Well, I slave away back home. Another <laughs> wedding. Anyway, let's get this show on the road. We're going to be talking about movies and TV shows from the mid-century. Scary stuff that fits for Halloween. Well, hang in there. Do not adjust your iPhones. What was it? Science didn't know, but dedicated scientists were willing to risk their lives to find out. This longfish, the bridge between fish and the land animal. This one was a failure. It hasn't changed in millions of years. Millions. But here, here we have a clue to an answer. Starring Richard Carlson, grimly adventuring underwater in the depths of the mighty Amazon. Lovely Julia Adams, her beauty, allure, even to the man-beast of the dawn of time. Ooh, even to the man-beast. With Richard Denning, whose scientific passion turned to the fury of revenge. Revenge. You'll see the most amazing fury. underwater photography that the screen has ever known. In this strangest of all science fiction adventure. Underwater photography. Four men dead so far. We're staying until we get, or until somebody else gets killed. 
<laughs> Some good drama. <laughs> I know it's long. Yeah. But you're setting the stage. Okay, so that's that's go. all that I have to say for this show. So, uh, uh, what, what, wait, what was that? <laughs> that was the creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954, <laughs> filmed for 3D. Oh no way! Oh, wow. You got to wear those glasses. Cool. I've never seen it in 3D. I'd love to see it in 3D. Mm. I just watched it last like, night. Okay. Yeah. So a geology expedition in the Amazon uncovers fossilized evidence, a skeletal hand with webbed fingers from the Devonian era period, whatever Devonian period. I, you know, I'm sure that there are dinosaur fans out there and archeology span types and, and, uh, people who know all their, it's eras millions of years ago. We'll just leave it at millions of years ago. Bone stuff. Yeah. Bone, bone and uh, yeah. Striations. Okay. All that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, this this hand that is discovered seems to provide a direct link between land and sea animals. And expedition leader Dr. Carl Maya orders his two assistants to stay in the camp while he visits the Marine Biology <laughs> Institute. You know, the Marine Biology in- Institute, not like of Los Angeles or, but the, right. the, the main you know, one. The one. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the main branch. Uh, so Carl reunites with his friends and former student ichthyologist, Dr. David Reed. David works at an aquarium in California. Oh, we got a location now, but more recently he's been a guest at Carl's Institute in Brazil to study lungfish. David persuades his boss, the financially minded Dr. Mark Williams to fund a return expedition to the Amazon to look for the remainder of the skeleton. Soon after Carl leaves the camp, an amphibious humanoid, a living member of the same species from which the fossil originated, becomes curious about the expedition's camp. When its, su- when its sudden appearance frightens the assistants, they panic, they attack, and in response, the enraged creature kills them both. Of course, what else would an enraged creature do but kill both of them? The group goes aboard the tramp steamer named Rita, captained by the crusty old Lucas. (laughs) The expedition consists of David, Carl, Mark, David's girlfriend and colleague who is Kay Lawrence and (laughs) another scientist, Dr. Edwin Thompson. When they arrive at the camp, they discover Carl's assistants had been killed while he was away. Lucas suggests it was likely done by a Jaguar but others are unsure. (laughs) A further excavation of the area where Carl found the fossil turns up nothing. Mark is ready to give up the search, but David suggests perhaps thousands of years of erosion has washed everything downriver a bit. And so Carl says that there's a tributary that empties into a lagoon. Lucas calls it the Black Lagoon, a paradise from which no one has ever returned. The scientists oh. decide to risk it, unaware of the amphibious gill man that's killed, uh, that killed Carl's assistants. Uh, he has been watching them, by the way. Taking notice of the beautiful cake, uh, the creature follows the Rita all the way down river back to the Black Lagoon. Once the expedition arrives, David and Mark go diving and collect rock samples from the lagoon floor. 
After they return, Kay goes for an extended swim, uh, does a little water aerobics, uh, <laughs> acrobatics, and other things. <laughs> and um, the Gilman, the creature, is right underneath her the whole time, just kind of checking out the booty. Ooh, and there you have wow. it. The creature is smitten by Kay. The creature leaves uh, uh, some evidence behind. He gets caught up in their net, and uh, he almost pulls the boat over, it seems. It's a big boat, and it seems that the creature at times weighs about 8,000 pounds and at other times weighs about uh, 150 pounds. So it's really hard to figure out how he works. Uh, but he leaves a, a little claw behind in the net. Subsequent <laughs> encounters with a gill man claims the lives of Lucas's crew members, uh, before the creature is captured and locked into a cage aboard the Rita, then he escapes and in the night attacks Edwin, uh, who is supposedly guarding it. Not very well. Uh, Kay smashes, smashes the creature with a lantern, driving it off. But Edwin's face is severely mauled and uh, he is um, in kind of a mummy mask after this. Following this incident, David decides they should return to civilization. Mark is obsessed with capturing or killing the creature he objects as the Rita Lee uh, tries to leave. Rather, uh, they find the Gilman has blocked the lagoon's interest with uh, entrance with logs. Why can't I talk? Uh, so he's kind of like a beaver, you know. He, he <laughs> you know, those killer beavers. Uh, while the others attempt to remove the logs, Mark is mauled, mauled to death while trying to capture the creature single-handedly underwater. The Gilman then uh, abducts Kay and takes her to his cavern lair uh david lucas and carl chase after the critter and Kay is ultimately rescued the creature is riddled with bullets before retreating to the lagoon where its body sinks into the watery depths but is he really dead the sequels will let us know 1955 the revenge of the creature and oh. 1956 the creature walks among us oh. i've not oh. seen either one of those he goes on land I, well, he, he can go on land, but he's oh, got oh. so I don't know how long he, yeah. you know, how long can he stay out of water? We're not sure. Uh, this is, uh, let's see. Richard Carlson is Dr. David Reed, Julie Adams. Oh, as Kay Lawrence, Richard Denning as Dr. Mark Williams, Antonio Moreno as Dr. Carl Maia, Nestor Piava, Paeva, P, Piava, P, P-A-I-V-A. I don't know. It's Captain Lucas. Whit Bissell. I love that name, Whit. And Bissell. <laughs> How do you spell it? Sounds like he should come over and clean our carpets. Uh, Whit, W-H-I-T. <laughs> okay, there's an H in there. Yeah. As Dr. Edwin Thompson, Bernie Gozier as Z, Henry Escalante as Chico, Ben Chapman plays the Gill Man on land. He's got a much heavier suit for land. And then in the water... Rico Browning is the underwater creature. Uh, they made a much lighter suit for Rico in the water. He had to be able to hold his breath for up to four minutes at a time. Oh by my the way. goodness. Uh, he was a professional diver and okay. stuntman and all sorts of stuff. Really interesting guy. Uh, wow. Did a lot of, a lot of movies, uh, stunts and that sort of thing. Yeah. The, if yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I think it was uh, Rico Browning who staged or directed all of those underwater scenes in thunderball really uh, james yeah i think uh, so good to know yeah. yeah uh this movie came to be in a kind of interesting way producer Al, uh, william allen was attending a dinner in 1941 
for the filming of Citizen Kane, he played a reporter named Thompson. Uh, when a Mexican cinematographer, well done. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Gabriel Figueroa told him about the a myth of a half fish, half human creature in the Amazon River. And Alan wrote notes entitled Sea Monster, 10 years in the making. Uh, after using Beauty and the Beast for inspiration, he came up with the idea of the creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, following this uh, was great success with this movie. It was filmed in 3D. This is at the height, actually at the end of the height of 3D. The whole 3D thing only seemed to last about four or five years. Oh. Uh, so this was filmed for 3D. And like I said, I would love to see it in 3D because it is uh, it is something. Uh, the movie, honestly, in my opinion, is about 50% swimming scenes. It's, it's like they have a short story and they fill it in with a lot of swimming. Because they want to show off their <laughs> underwater camera skills. Well, like that we talked about. and yeah. probably underwater 3D camera skills at that. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was in color. That would be even better, though. Right. Uh, and who knew, who knew my buddy Craig was in, he had such an infatuation for Julie Adams. I had I no know. idea, man. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Starting last night. I didn't even know until I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, the, the designer of the costume is kind of interesting. Uh, the main designer was actually Disney animator Millicent Patrick. And uh, she got downplayed a lot because girls can't do that, right? Uh, so makeup artist Bud Westmore got most of the glory for about 50 years. And then hmm. it really came out that Millicent was behind a lot of it. And uh, she she had done a lot of other work uh, on a lot of stuff. Uh Jack Keevan uh, worked on the Wizard of Oz and made, the, made prosthetics for amputees during World War II. He created the bodysuit, and Chris Mueller Jr. sculpted the head. Uh, lots and lots of underwater photography, very groundbreaking in that uh, department. Uh, the guy who, did the, who wore the suit on land, most of that was filmed on the lot at Paramount. And uh, mm. it was hot. It was summer. And so he was actually usually sitting in a, a, a pool of water most of the time, or they were hosing him down. Uh, he oh. couldn't breathe in the suit very well. Oh. He couldn't see a darn thing because the, the eyes are fake and everything. And uh, miserable, miserable experience. And because of this, uh, <laughs> in one of the scenes when he's uh, carrying the lovely Kay, uh, he banged her head in a, into a wall and she ended up with a cut on her head. And <laughs> no. So they, they had to kind of bandage her up and put some makeup on it. But she, she trooped on, but uh, yeah, it was a miserable, miserable experience with uh, wearing that suit. And like I said, two sequels, revenge of the creature and the creature walks among us. So now you've got some homework to do gang, go and watch all of these movies. <laughs> uh, the music last, last thing here, uh, Henry Mancini, was one of three musicians who did this, uh, but he's uncredited. Mm. And the other two are, where did I put it? Cinematography. Here we go. Hans Salter and Herman Stein are the other two. And then they, they had some uh, kind of royalty-free music from Paramount. That uh, I, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's royalty-free. Paramount paid for it, but it's just kind of stock music, I guess. Oh, stock that music. Used also. So yeah, three composer, but Henry Mancini was in the mix. So this is uh, not not your, uh, you know, real kind of ultra low budget kind of movie or anything. They actually had some 
some serious production stuff going into this, including the music. It was a huge hit too, wasn't it? It was a big hit, and uh, it actually got really good reviews for the most part from the oh. critics, which is kind of shocking because, like I said, it's like a short story with an awful lot of swimming in it. People but, loved it, though. Yeah, back then, that was <laughs> awesome. Now yeah. it's like, yeah, where's, yeah. where's the CGI, right? Yeah. Uh, right. So, <laughs> anyway, Creature from the Black Lagoon. There you go. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Dave, I believe you're up. So the angle I took in preparing for today's episode is things that were scary to me as a young kid, <laughs> not necessarily Halloween stuff. Cause you know, Paula Craig and I, we, we text each other a lot about, Hey, what kind of show should we do next week? And anyway, we, we, we all three throw out lots of ideas and then you sometimes get, you know, confused about, wait, is it a Halloween episode or just mid-century era scary stuff? So yes. that, that's the, the yeah, angle I took. So, yeah. <laughs> so a show from the 60s that really gave me the creeps when I was younger was The Outer Limits. Do you guys remember this one? Yes. yes. So this is a show from 1963 that was ABC's attempt to compete with The Twilight Zone, okay. which I think was CBS or NBC or both of those. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the pictures. I remember this. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. So that right there oh. is one of the creepier things about the Outer Limits series. Um, and they call that guy the control voice. Um, and his narration starts and ends um, each episode. Um, and the music, uh, by the way, uh, is by Dominic Frontieri. Um, he, he did the music for uh, the very first season. It, it was only a two season show. And then uh, somebody else took over music duties uh, for the second season. But I think, I think the Outer Limits had a creepier tone to it than uh, the Twilight Zone. The, you know, it had a very uh, noirish look to it, very moody, uh, interesting lighting. Cinematography was really, really good. But it had a nice mix of uh, sci-fi and horror themes, like the Twilight Zone. It also had many young up-and-coming stars appear in episodes such as Adam West. Robert Culp, Martin Landau, Robert Duvall, Leonard Nimoy, wow. William Shatner, and Sally Kellerman, um, among others. 
Uh, it premiered on September 16th, 1963 for two seasons only consisting of 49 episodes total. So, and by the way, that, that high pitched whine you hear in, in the opening theme, that's an oscilloscope. And, and so, you know, that, that whiny noise and wave again, yeah, yeah. Creepy. So, um, so Joseph Stefano, who had written the script for Psycho, that was that's what he was most known for at the time, was the season one producer and head script writer. His formula for the shows for that first season, which he referred to as The Bear, was that each episode would have a monster or creature as a critical part of the storyline, thus providing fear or suspense or at least a center for the plot development. So I guess because bears are scary, that's why he called his formula the bear. I'm not quite sure. Oh, my. Um, right? Oh, my. Anyway, I watched Outer Limits in reruns uh, in the mid to late 70s, and there are two episodes that stuck in my brain as really creepy. The, the first episode, uh, the first is episode two, of season one entitled the hundred days of the dragon. You guys just, the show, this episode was really different in it. We are shown a Chinese experimental serum being used on an agent of the Chinese government. The serum essentially makes human skin in this case, fingerprints and faces pliable or malleable so that it can take on a new shape or appearance wow good concept yeah do you guys see where i'm going with this 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 wasn't in wuhan was it very different well to be honest the narration the opening narration for this episode says it's in an undisclosed location in the orient in the orient in the the orient Yes. yes and yeah, there's also lots of um, <clears throat> cliche musical oh, themes yeah. to, to make oh, yeah, it sound little, like it's, you know, tentatonic. oriental. Yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, so this is the image I most remember from this episode. I just remember staring at the TV going, what the heck? So uh, the scientist who created it uh, injects it into the, the Chinese agent um, and he has to wait a certain amount of time for the serum to take effect. And then he rearranges the agent's face. So you see him like oh. go up to the guy's <laughs> face Stretch and like, like use his fingers. Well, it, yeah, it kind of looked like silly putty or yeah. just a, a bust of soft clay, but he like <laughs> flattens his nose and drags <laughs> the corners of his mouth further out, etc. I mean, it looks pretty freaky. Um, and, uh, and then, um, sorry. And since the show was shot in black and white, I mean, the, the clay bust does look pretty realistic, um, pretty freaky. So then we find out the true goal of the serum. The scientist then takes what looks like an oval shaped cake pan, um, with handles and an impression or mold of a face inside of it. And he places it on the agent's face that has just that that he just rearranged, whose face he just rearranged, and then presses really hard on the cake pan. And when he pulls it away, 
the, the mold inside the pan uh, had made an exact replica of the face of President, U.S. presidential hopeful William Lyons Selby. Oh, he was my dun, favorite. Dun, dun, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the plan is to replace Selby, who's favored to win, with this same Chinese agent who just got his face, oh. who will then work with his own government to overthrow the U.S. government. Oh. Their plan is a success. He sneaks into Selby's hotel room drugs him, administers the serum, uses the cake pan on his face to transform him into some unknown attacker, and then uses a steel plate with imprints of the attacker's fingerprints to transform Selby's own fingerprints. So they basically have to erase the president, right? He then trades clothes with the real Selby, places him in a chair, and then shoots him. Wow. And then that's when, you know, the Secret Service guys who are nowhere to be seen when, you know, the fake Selby sneaks into the hotel room, finally all show up at the door because they hear a gunshot. After getting elected, the fake Selby starts shifting his stance on foreign policy with China, creating suspicion in Selby's vice president. Mm. Right. We find out that the plan is to replace many key public and private figures with identical Chinese agent replacements, starting with the vice president next. Cut to the chase. At the end, the real vice president confronts the fake Selby once they've figured out what's going on, uh, confronts fake Selby at a reception and gives him the serum again. He distorts uh the fake selby's face much like we saw at the start of the episode and then he's let off by guards what so he's got this big like oh let away formed face that he's yeah. gonna stay in prison with i guess for the for the rest of his life i thought you said let right? off like like the, let let, let led, him go it's like what let it's off like, let off let, let him away got it got it got it <laughs> so so I guess the two things that that you know really creeped me out about this episode is that you know the fact that there could be a way to dis- disfigure people with a serum, especially <laughs> when you like pinch and drag and def- you know deform their facial features. Yeah. That was just really freaky, and um, also that our you know our government officials could so easily be replaced with replicas, or <laughs> at least in 1963, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, that's uh, season one, episode two. And then the second episode that really stuck in my brain is from season two, episode episode 16. And it's the second to last episode called The Premonition. Now, um, uh, Outer Limits was kind of known as having uh, a low special effects budget. But I think what they managed to pull off in these episodes is pretty amazing. So uh, in this episode, a test pilot by the name name of Jim Darcy is flying the experimental X-15, testing its speed and maneuverability on the ground. His wife uh, driving a beautiful white Galaxy 500 convertible and daughter have arrived at the base to watch Jim land. Back in the air, Jim hits Mach 6 and breaks not only the sound barrier, but also the time 
Barry yes. Hi, this is sounding familiar. Uh, yeah, I remember this one. Yeah. Luckily, who was wa- his wife, who was driving out to the landing spot after dropping their daughter at the base daycare, is in the vicinity when Jim breaks the time barrier. Uh, thus, the two of them are both affected by the shock wave. But what happens is they jump 10 seconds ahead of their own timeline and eventually figure out that they can catch up one second every 30 minutes. So they have to, they have to, you know, figure out how to catch up with their own timeline eventually. (laughs) Okay. So now comes the part that, that I thought was really fascinating about this episode Uh, as, you know, as a kid, this was 1965. So no CGI. So you couldn't easily insert a character into a scene um, you had to do it all with, with camera tricks and stuff. So they used a lot of still shots of the actors like mid drink on a cup of coffee or like a bird is seemingly frozen in the air. And by the way, they figure out everybody's just moving at a really, really slow rate of speed, which why it looks like they're frozen. Um, and then, and we've all seen this in older TV shows, when they are in shots with other actors, everyone is blocked a certain way so that the pilot and his wife could like walk among them. And the frozen in time actors just had to stand really, really still. Mm-hmm. Right. But no if one you sneeze. Oh, I know. Yeah, but you always <laughs> see someone yeah. move a little. You, you, yeah. If you look closely, yep. Totally can. So the episode wraps up. I mean, I'm, I'm, giving you guys the condensed version. The episode wraps up with Jim rigging up the steering of a delivery truck with the cutout seatbelts from his wife's Galaxy 500 because it turns out that after she dropped off their daughter at daycare, the daughter took off on a tricycle to explore the base and got in the path of the truck before time froze. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. So once they resynchronize time, they have to figure out a way to not let the truck Hit. crush their daughter to death. So that's why he rigs up the steering. Oh my goodness. And then and then once I get that done, in order to get back in sync with time, Jim has to race back uh to the fighter and his wife has to get back in her car. And then everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> Because you about, can't kill a little girl on a TV show. What about the butterfly effect? You know, the, I, you, I know. Yeah, right? I mean, if you we know so much more line, about right. I mean, since 1965, our knowledge of time travel has just yes, it's exploded. It's been amazing. <laughs> so I guess this per- future. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I guess this particular episode is more suspenseful than creepy. You know, with the whole will or won't they save their daughter scenario. That sounds but, good. Um, those are just two of my favorite episodes. Um, other, there's one other uh, episode that's well known from the uh, from the Outer Limits, and that's the demon with the glass hand. I don't know if you guys remember oh, that episode. Robert Culp has to find each finger because he only has like the thumb and his pointing finger, his index finger, and he has to try to find the other fingers. And it's a cool light up hand and we find out it's a, a computer because it talks to him and whatever. 
It's a really cool episode too. That's from uh, yeah, that's, that's from familiar. season two as well, I think. Now, yeah. are they, is the Twilight Zone a half an hour episode? Well, so the Twilight Zone did start out as a half hour show, I but thought. it did one season, I think, where they were full hour apps. Okay. But uh, The Outer Limits was an hour. Yeah, when you said uh, that, I went, oh, yeah. I don't think Twilight Zone went that long. And by the way, The Outer Limits can be viewed with commercials oh. on Pluto. Great. Right? So you can get creeped out for free, but you have to sit through a lot of commercials. <laughs> and they're always the same. <laughs> they are the same. <laughs> you start to get to know them. Yeah. Very good. That sounds like a lot cool. of fun. Yeah. It's a great show. Great series. Well, when I uh, Googled like great mid-mod movies, this movie popped up and I, I'm like, yeah, I got to do this one. The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. The grooviest 1966 mid-mod movie of all time and scary too sorry it's a must halloween rental this song will get stuck in your head oh yeah and when i watch this movie i'm like this is life-changing i watched it last <laughs> week and i don't remember this movie at all I know I watched it as a kid because my dad loved Don Knotts. So I know he loved this movie and I don't rec I don't remember anything about I'm it. I'm a huge fan. Let me tell you, <laughs> I'm a huge fan now. And there are a lot of people out there in the internet world that are huge fans that rent this movie every year. They've dedicated <laughs> podcasts to it. There's oh, wow. there are these two awesome guys. I should have written their name down and give them given them some credit, but they um, review Oh, yeah, now we get into this creepy <laughs> organ playing. But they review a lot of sci-fi movies, and they did a really nice review of this. So you subscribe to their channel. I'll let you know what, what it is later. <laughs> anyway, it's all just look, a Look treat. in the show notes. So look in the show notes. Remember yeah. to make a note for the show notes. Yes. Or, Paula, you can post a link on the Facebook page. The Ooh, Facebook, yeah. yes. So it's just <laughs> a treat, just from the very opening scene. You just get enraptured in this movie. The costumes, the hats on these women, the cars, the score, oh, yeah. all of these characters from all of my favorite 60s and 70s TV shows make their little appearance in this movie. There are so, so many character actors. From Disney movies and all sorts yes, of stuff. Yes, um, yeah. the awesome repetitive lines. Um, there's so many, you know, um, it's so quotable. This movie, like you'll quote this movie if you watch it. Um, and of course, the incredible Don Knotts, who has hands as hard as steel. And my whole body is a weapon because I've been studying karate by mail for years. Don Knotts, ooh, <laughs> great lines. And his physical comedy is, is just genius. Now I'm gonna play a little bit of the opening scene. And Dave, what does this sort of remind you of? Something else we did on the Mid-Modcast. Weems, he's dead. He's been murdered! Well, don't panic! Don't panic! Oh, Luther, Luther, it was terrible! He was walking along the street when bang! Oh, right on the head! With that! Tom, did you see who did it? No, it was just bang! Right on the head! With that! I've got a picture of it. Let's see. F-32, and it's dark, it's been raining, and... Uh, oh, for heaven's sake, stand back, Susanna! Stand back, get out of the way! And for heaven's sake, don't touch anything! This is all evidence! He was just walking down the street when... Bang! Right on the head! All right, I've got a picture of the murder weapon. Bang! Right on the head! <laughs> I was just getting ready to brush my teeth and watch Lawrence Welk, but I looked out the window and 
Hey! For heaven's sake, Susanna, pull yourself together. I'm going down to the police station. Now you get on the phone and call my editor. George Beckett. <laughs> Does it remind you of anything, Dave? Wow, did you did you see the way he just like sailed right out yes! there? Sailed right out there. Sailed right out. As soon as I watched that, I'm like, I wonder if we had some of the same writers because that was just and and that she just is screaming. I don't think we caught the murder at the very beginning, um, but the guy who plays Otis uh, from the Andy Griffith show gets hit on the head with a you know bang oh. right on the Big head. Two by four, yeah, on, yeah, with a two by four and that's how the movie starts oh my god oh my goodness wow. and, and it is um let me read a little bit of the synopsis looking to score a break as a newspaper reporter and impress the beautiful alma parker which is played by joan staley this milk toast typesetter luther heggs played by don knotts pitches a story about his small town's haunted house when his editor editor dick Sargent, insists luther spend a night alone in the spooky mansion where a grisly murder suicide had taken place decades earlier earlier the timid reporter learns that the house contains a supernatural resident who doesn't like visitors does that remind you of scooby-doo and people <laughs> that's a very scooby-doo-ish wait wait paula is it the ghost in the invisible bikini oh it's, no no that's oh, not the inhabitant uh, don't sorry. remind okay. me Another oh my gosh film right there yeah yeah i love doing my homework for this episode as opposed nice. to one of those previous beach movie episodes <laughs> now this one was inspired by actually by a real episode of the andy griffith show that dealt with a haunted house the mm -hmm. whole movie is is uh, inspired by this particular episode. After his popularity as the deputy on The Andy Griffith Show, Don Knotts got a contract from Universal Films, and he was able to pick any project, what whatever he wanted. And so this, um, this movie, which was originally titled Running Scared, was written by James Fritzell and Everett Greenbaum. And they both were writers for the Andy Griff Griffith Show. Greenbaum is actually the one who keeps shouting, attaboy, Luther, attaboy, judge, <laughs> off the screen. And that little part, you'll hear that throughout the movie. Like I said, it was it's very quotable. That part was a contribution by Andy Griffith, who's uncredited, but made oh, contributions what? into this script as well. Yeah, I oh, thought that cool. was kind of cute. And it's actually kind of just a cinematic version of the Andy Griffith show, Mayberry. It's got <laughs> the same small town look, and there are so many um, character actor actors of the television show. Like the woman who, at the beginning, you know, was bang right on the head she plays um aunt b's like kind of rival on the show i oh. yeah i remember that character kind of she she she's actually uncredited in this movie but she played that 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 beautiful opening scene so funnily she's just so <laughs> funny um greg and i as we were watching it we're like hey there's that dick Sargent, you know from bewitched um yep darren number two yeah darren number two the ghost of mrs muir cook you know the mary poppins cook there's mrs kravitz and oh. a little part of it yeah mrs kravitz mrs kravitz I'm like, is that mrs kravitz yeah there's grandma walton the fabulous <laughs> oh, right. ellen corby who's plays a former school teacher who just does a dynamite job she's so <laughs> funny and then of course we've got otis the town drunk played by the incomparable Hal Smith, who who's the one who gets hit by the two boy four at the beginning. And Alma, his love interest, she's just a gorgeous, 
gorgeous actress. She is played by Joan Staley, was actually a model for Playboy at the time. Really? Which is rather shocking oh, and oh, Mayberry, huh? Saucy. And when I saw the spooky mansion where he has to spend the night, it, I thought it was the psycho house, but it's not. It's actually a leftover prop from the movie So Goes My Love. Have you ever heard of that yeah. movie? Yeah. And then they repurposed that house, and it was later used in Desperate Housewives. That was Gabrielle's oh. house. I don't know. Oh, wow. And if you ever watch, I used to watch the TV show Delta House. It's like Animal House. It was a TV show mm. called Delta House. It was very funny. Um, it was used for Delta House. And they call it the creepy jeepers genre. That's what it is. <laughs> Charlie Brown and Scooby-Doo, the creepy jeepers. Oh, got it. Creepy jeepers. So, yeah, I do a lot of internet <laughs> Uh, rabbit trailing in my day the score the fabulous score is by vic mizzy who wrote the theme score for the adams family he used fuzzy guitars and harpsichord arrangements mm. um mm -hmm. the wrecking crew member frank kemp played on mm. that one um he scored only 35 minutes of that movie there are only 35 minutes of that movie scored but that's oh. all they needed and he wrote it in four days there are lots and lots of light motifs and themes he just basically has the same theme if you really listen to it it's the same theme used in with lots and lots of variations and his uh vic says he is influenced by wagner ah, so mm. the light motif wow. so you hear um luther's light motif with a little clarinet the lonely light motif and then that light motif comes in with the creepy organ it's the same thing but it just sounds very different i believe in mayberry that's pronounced wagner Wagner. Oh, yeah, and Wagner. <laughs> and the bloody organ theme is played by Vic Mizzy because the organist they contracted was unable to complete the task. Oops. And that is just a fabulous theme, too. This movie is a gem. I just loved that. Any town feel, which is actually takes place in Rachel, Kansas. The char <laughs> So many character actors to, to catch your interest repetitive, funny lines. Like one of them's like, they tried to clean the organ and then, cause it got blood all over it. And then one lady keeps saying, they even tried bone ammy. They use bone ammy. <laughs> they keep saying that through the whole thing. And then they use bone. And then the, the women, you know, who are the psychic type, you know, um, underworld type women, they've got their little chants that they say throughout the movie. It reminded me a little bit of Music Man, the Music Man. Oh, yeah, Very much because yeah. they have lots of these groups of women like the Music Man uh. had. There's these groups of women that do these funny things led by the lady from The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. So anyway, I highly recommend. I'm watching it every Halloween from now on, and I did buy it. So I'm probably going to let the cat out of the bag asking you this question, Paula. Is it Gladys Kravitz number one or two? Oh, number two. It's number the two. The one with the squeakier, funnier voice. Yeah, the red, the red hair. Yeah, the red hair. When she was yeah. young, she's cute, kind of cute. Confession, yeah. I, I have not seen this movie. I love the music from the movie. You know but it. I, I, yeah, but I've got to sit down and watch the actual film, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of uh, neat because, you know, the, all the movies we've seen, like Willy Wonka and we've watched right. Mad World, they're all things I remembered from my childhood. And it was very great and very nostalgic. But to see something that I don't remember from my childhood and just really captivate me was a right. special treat. So I really did appreciate it. Well, cool. I think uh, that pretty much wraps up our creepy, spooky Halloween special. Yeah. Uh, last Happy Halloween, anyone? everybody. Yeah. yeah. Trick or treat. Well, Are we? Stay swell, everyone. We'll 
We'll leave you with this thought. We okay. now return control of your television set to you. Oh, thank Until goodness. next week at this same time, when the control voice will take you to the outer limits. Oh, yeah, there we go. Vic Mizzy playing on the bloody organ. Recognize the light motif. 